Hey, good morning. Welcome to New Spring. You guys stand up. Now it's your turn to sing out with us.
stand before you, God, and we know that your word says that there's eternal praise, there's eternal worship in heaven that never ceases in giving you the glory and the honor that you deserve, God. And we pray that our time here would be limited of distractions of our, of our mind being in places it shouldn't and that we could just have just a brief moment each week where we think about that and just join in with the angels singing you praises and just standing in awe before your presence in the church that you created, Lord, and established through the blood of Jesus Christ, God. We pray you would continue to be with us as we worship, as we hear your inspired word. Bless Jonathan and the message, God. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Aren't you blessed with the wonderful worship we've had this morning? It's been incredible. And we are so glad that you're here with us this morning for the last week of the Road Trip series. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you happen to be here for the very first time, uh, we just want to let you know how special it is that you're here with us. And if you take that Talk to Us card that you got when you came in, it says Road Trip on the front of it. If you open it up, it becomes a Talk to Us card, and there's a place you can put some information there if you're comfortable doing that. And you can take that to guest services, which we have one in the foyer, one by, by the coffee shop. You can take that after the service is over, uh, and they will give you a, a gift that we've put together specially for you. Just want to let you know uh, how awesome it is that you're here with us this week. Uh, in just a moment, I'll bring the last. Uh, message in the road trip series, but for now, those who are prepared to take the offering, if y'all want to go ahead and come forward and do that, and if you wouldn't mind just for a moment, uh, cast a glance at the screens and check out what's going on at New Spring Church. In just a minute, we'll be hearing a message from God's Word, so please silence your cell phone and any other electronic devices. If you have a child in the room that may cause a disturbance, or if you need to speak with someone, please step out into the foyer so that others can concentrate on the message without any distractions. Judgment House tours are kicking off this week, and you can skip the waiting lines by reserving your spot online. Also, if you're interested in participating in the 30 days of prayer, make sure that you sign up now so that you don't miss another day. Make your tour reservations and find out more about 30 days of prayer all by going to newspring.org jh. We're starting a brand new small groups ministry here at New Spring called Life Teams, and they're looking for volunteers interested in serving in a small group. The first step to becoming a volunteer is to attend the volunteer training event on November 8th. So check it out and sign up at lovemylifeteam.com. New Spring is hosting the Very Merry Christmas Tour. It's a concert featuring new song, audio adrenaline, Jason Castro, and more. These tickets are gonna sell out fast and we want New Springers to have the chance to see them live. So learn more and purchase your $15 ticket today at newspring.org concert. lives out there in the darkness. It knows your name, and it's looking for you. It can mess you up, wreck your life, and steal your dreams. It's the thing.
good, good morning to you. I'm glad that you're here. And I'm actually, I'm glad that I'm here because uh, I can now be the only one of the 30-something pastor friends that I sometimes hang out with that will now have preached in front of a classic Corvette. So, you know, I'll just mark that down in my notebook as something that I've conquered already. So uh, I'm glad that I'm here. And actually, we're going to be talking in this last week about the question in your, in your life's journey, in the road trip of your life, how do you finish your journey well? And, and, and specifically, we're talking about the question of legacy. How do you make sure that what you've worked for in your life, what God has gifted you with in your life, how do you make sure that somehow you cast that forward to the future generation? You give them the opportunity to take it and go somewhere with that. Because no matter how wonderful your life is, and there's a very attractive group of people in this room this morning, I'm sure you have some wonderful lives, but no matter how wonderful your life is, there will come a moment where you will have to pass the baton to someone else. Not, and sometimes that is in terms of the, our life coming to an end and we pass the baton to someone else, but also there's a lot of other things in life that are those sorts of transitions, right? I mean, sometimes we have that with a job. I certainly recall uh, when I came here and I ended my time at First Baptist Church of Edmond, uh, that uh, I was surrendering my responsibilities to a new person who came in and uh, was taking those over. And I do remember uh, in that 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 was, that was hard in a couple of ways. First of all, it's hard in terms of kind of a control thing, right? It's, we're used to being able to control and manage what we do, and we kind of have to surrender that. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But there's another part of it, though, and that is that you kind of have, anytime you pass the baton to someone else, you sort of have to take stock of what you've done and take stock of what you were leaving to the, to the next person. As I prepared to leave my job responsibilities in Edmond, Oklahoma to the next guy so that I could come to Wichita and be a part of New Spring, I did have to think, in the three and a half years that I've been in this ministry, have I done a good job of putting together something that now uh, positions the next person for success? But now, for me, it's bigger than that question because I have kids. And as I look at our country and, and, and the life in which I'm living and, and, and what I hope the next generation will be able to do, I have to ask myself, how am I doing, even at 32, how am I doing at preparing the next generation, preparing my kids uh, to, to receive what I have done so that they can make an impact on the world? And that's kind of what we'll be talking about. Kind of the picture in terms of our road trip analogy that we've been using uh, is choosing to get out of the driver's seat. Uh, how do we get out of the driver's seat and let someone else uh, drive? And some of y'all know exactly what that's like because some of y'all have kids that are getting to be that age where you actually have to get out of the driver's seat and let them start doing the driving. How's that for, you know, something that will scare you out of your wits, right? Um, and I recall when this happened for me, uh, how many of y'all went to driver's ed? You learned how to drive at driver's ed, right? Yeah, okay, some of you, all right. I am... Um, I homeschooled in high school, so driver's ed in my family, I was the driver and dad was ed, right? And uh, that's, you know, he, it was his responsibility to teach me how to drive. And dad had a long talk with me at the beginning of that whole exercise, and he said, Jonathan, here's what you have to understand. I want to arrive alive at the end of this driving experience. And so, and I'm, I, this is not one of those driver's ed cars where there's an extra steering wheel for me and an extra brake pedal for me. So he said, this is certainly an exercise of faith. And, and so in order for me to feel confident and comfortable to teach you how to drive, we have to have one basic agreement. And if you can live by this, we can do this. He said, but the agreement is this. If I tell you to do something, you will do exactly what I tell you to do. If I tell you to stop, you'll stop. If I tell you to turn to the right, you turn to the right. Do not get creative on me. Don't decide that you're going to do something that I tell 
you not to do. When I tell you to do this, make sure that you do this. I said, okay, Dad, I get it. He said, so what are you going to do? I said, Dad, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Are you going to get creative? No, Dad, I'm not going to get creative. Are we clear on this? Dad, we're pristinely clear. All right, so I understood this. So we began the yeah, exercise of learning how to drive. We lived in Bel Air at the time. And so we were, uh, Dad had me driving on those kind of, um, you know, low traffic roads on the north side of Bel Air. And uh, so he was giving me directions because I still am hopelessly without a sense of direction at all. And uh, my dad would say, turn right here, turn left here, you know, and that sort of thing. And uh, so I was, and this, I'm new to this, right? I mean, this is a new experience for me. And, and he says, uh, okay, we're going to keep going straight on through this intersection, right? And uh, so I did exactly what he said. Now, there was a stop sign at the intersection, right? But he said, don't get creative, Right? And he didn't say stop, and I didn't want to exercise creativity, so I decided to do exactly what he said and keep on going through that intersection. And you're very fortunate that you still have a senior pastor, because in that moment he had a stroke. <laughs> Cannot medically prove that, but I feel quite certain. Because even at this, I'm 32 and he still looks a little nervous whenever I, I have to drive him somewhere, right? He breaks into a little bit of a sweat when we approach a stop sign and... I'm sure old memories die hard, but uh, in any case, I think that no matter who you are, no matter what season of life you're in, and no matter what sort of transition God has called you to in terms of handing the baton to someone else to either take over a job or a financial situation or, or even the question that I was mentioning a second ago, how do we do this in terms of the next generation? Can we not just admit together as a group that, that was, that's always hard? It's always difficult to do that. And so I want to asked some questions this morning about how can we do this? How can we make sure that, that as we prepare our next generation, that we position them to experience the best of God's blessings? Because let's just be gut-level honest, shall we, that we have learned in our culture that just because an individual or a couple or a family or a people group or a nation has the hand of God on it, has God's blessing, has God's opportunities and all the things that God would give to a group of people, it does not guarantee they will always be there. You see, God is a God of purpose. And when he gives us a gift, he expects us to do something with it. In James 1.17, and by the way, I just want to start off, let, let's just take a little logical trip here and think about this in sequence. God is a giver of gifts, yes? I mean, that is his nature. God is a giver of gifts. The, the Bible talks about that, his grace, his favor, charis, his, his, his desire to give to us, right? The Bible says in James 1.17 that whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. So whatever is good in your life, and let's put it this way, whatever is truly good, because sometimes we call things good but they're not really good. But whatever is truly good in your life came from God. And the Bible tells us that you know, the relationships, talents, abilities, resources that you have that are good are things that he has gifted to you. But as we said a moment ago, God does not give you a gift without a purpose. God does not give you a gift without an opportunity and a responsibility. If you think about this, uh, Luke 12, 48 really emphasizes this. When someone has been given much, the Bible says, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, that's when God gives us, he trusts us with a gift, even much more will be required. God is a God of purpose. You see, God didn't just give you your financial resources for you to hold on to and act like they're all in a pile and they're all mine and I'm not going to do anything with it. God, God didn't just give you your talents to hide your light under a bushel. God didn't just give you your ministry opportunities to be thankful for and to be glad that God's given it to you, but not to reach out and do something with it. Every gift that God has given you has a purpose. Every gift that God has given you has a responsibility with it. 
if you want to impact the next generation. This is really the idea of spiritual regifting, right? I mean, any of y'all in this room experts at regifting, right? See, nobody wants to admit to that. Right? <laughs> I am. I, I'm, I'm a good regifter, right? This is somebody's, you know, birthday. It's a holiday that you forgot about an anniversary. Um, <laughs> You know, you go to the closet, you start looking around what, what looks good, you know. I mean, it's kind of like shopping in your own house, kind of cool, right? Um, and then, you, you know, as a guy, you get one of the gift bags out because this is the truth, right? Gift bags are absolutely the best gift of God to man in the 20th century, right? Towards the latter end of the 20th century, God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give grace to those men who struggle to gift wrap. You know who you are. I'm one of you. And I'm going to gift you the idea of gift bags. You can take the bag and put a gift in it and put tissue paper um, or Kleenex whatever works in the top of it and give it to someone, right? This is regifting in life. But, but what God is talking about, though, is spiritual regifting. God gives you a gift, and it ends up in the storehouse of your life, but it was not meant to stay there. God says the purpose and the opportunity of the gifts that I have given you are to give them away and to give them to someone else. But when we lose touch with those opportunities and responsibilities, frankly, the blessings end with us. I was at Dylan's the other day, and I was, I, was, I was checking out. And I don't usually pay with cash. I have a debit card. You know, I swipe the card and pay, put in my little magic code. And, um, but for some reason, this day, I, had, I was paying with cash. And, and the gal gave me my change back. And in the change, there was a couple quarters. And just for some reason, it caught my eye, the phrase that I've seen so many times on our coinage, in God we trust. And to be honest with you, for me, that was kind of a sigh moment. Because... It's kind of like the message of a legacy we don't have anymore. And it's a vestige of a, of a time in which our country was in a place where there was respect for God and there was an understanding of the fact that God wanted what was best for us and a willingness to, at some level to submit ourselves to Him. And yet, there have been generations that have lost the opportunity to exercise God's blessing and to give it away and to extend it to the next generation. And as a result, now it's just a message on a coin that doesn't really mean that much in our culture anymore. And I don't want that to continue. Frankly, I was impressed as I worked on this message that we cannot afford, as, as a group of God followers, as the church of Jesus Christ, we cannot afford to lose one more moment, one more instant, one more bit of the, of, of the legacy that God wishes for us to pass on to the next generation. It's a hard enough world for them to live in if we do not provide for them everything that God has asked us to pass on. So in this moment, I want to just say, as we think about the idea of getting out of the driver's seat and letting, letting someone else drive, how can we be sure that we can pass on God's blessings in our life to the next generation? And Abraham, the guy that we've been studying in this series, is a great guy to look at for that reason because he certainly had a huge legacy. I mean, we see in James 2.23 that Abraham was called the friend of God. I mean, can you imagine what bigger legacy could you leave than to have lived a life that was such that, that you were referenced as being the friend of God? But it was bigger than that. I mean, Abraham left a legacy of faith. You know, in the scriptures, we read that he's a champion of faith in Hebrews. And even though he sometimes wavered and had difficulty struggling to have faith, as all of us do, he left that as his legacy. And then also he's seen as the father of God's people. How's that for a legacy? I mean, he's a success story. So how do we take a few pages from his playbook and experience that kind of success in our lives? I want to just break it apart, give you three quick things that you can think about. 
to provide a legacy for the next generation. These are three things that have to be part of our DNA. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. If you want to really leave a big legacy for the next generation, your primary purpose in life is going to have to be about something that is bigger than you are. And in our culture today, in the United States of America, we have been so affluent for so long that unfortunately our culture has gotten a little bit me-centric. It has, it, I don't know if you've noticed this in, cult, in, in our culture, but it's really hard sometimes to get people to think of things in terms bigger than themselves. So often our world seems that small. But what I want you to see in Abraham is that Abraham, one of the things that made him a special guy was that he thought of life in terms bigger than him. And that's clear from the fact that he even obeyed God from the start. If you go back to the call of Abraham, and we've read this before, it says, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, indulge me for a minute, will you? Let's break this apart and talk about what and what God just promised Abraham is about Abraham and what is about other people. Because first he says, I will make you into a great nation. Well, that is certainly a promise for Abraham, but most of that's going to happen after Abraham's dead and gone and off the scene. This is really about what God is going to do with other people through Abraham, right? It's about others through Abraham. We'll see if that's a familiar pattern. And then God says, I will bless you. And that's about the only direct statement that God makes that really only has only to do with Abraham. Then he says, I'll make you famous. Well, This is good for Abraham, I suppose, but again, this is more about what God is going to do in terms of other people's minds and understandings, and he's going to do it through Abraham. Then he says, you will be a blessing to others. Again, it's about other people through Abraham. Then he says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Well, that's certainly a phrase about God's protection and provision for Abraham, but again, it's more about what God's going to do with other people through Abraham. And then he says, all families on earth will be blessed through you. It's again, it's about other people. So let's think about this. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want to take you out of your comfort zone. I want to remove you from what feels normal to you. And I want, to, I want you to commit to go where I tell you to go, even though I'm not going to tell you yet where that is. And mostly the reason that I want to do that is so that you can be a blessing to other people. Now, I've got to be honest with you. If God came to me and said that, I would have a real hard time with that. Because when God asks me to do something, I expect there to be something huge on the back end for me. Because frankly, one of the biggest struggles I have in my life is thinking in things in terms bigger than myself. And I have some flawed logic. I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to lay this out and let you know what my flawed logic is. One of, my, one of the things that I struggle to try to get away from is the thought that you should be able to get out of life what you put into it. If you, you've heard people say that, I mean, it's a logical thought. Whatever I put into life, I should get about the same amount out of it. And then I, I kind of have that thought. And then I think on top of that, well, uh, I'm a God follower, so that ought to just extend that out, right? I mean, not, not only should I get out of life what I put into it, but God wants, to, well, God wants to bless me. He wants to protect me. He wants to be there for me. God wants to give me all sorts of good things. I'm sure I heard that on TV somewhere. And um, so all of that being the case, right, I should be able to get way more out of life than what I put into it because, again, I'm thinking in terms of myself. And we read the story of Abraham, and the story of Abraham is clear. God wants to give us wonderful things, and he wants to bless us in our lives. But we shouldn't be thinking of what I put into life in terms of what I'm going to get out of it, but rather what I put into my life because of what God wants to do through my life for other people. Because when we put stuff into our life, God says, I'm going to take that, I'm going to withdraw it, and then I'm going to sprinkle a little here, and I'm going to sprinkle a little here, and I'm going to bless this person through what I'm doing through you, and I'm going to allow you to bless this person with the gift of finances. I'm going to allow you to bless this person with the gift of compassion. I'm going to allow you to bless this person with the gift of being willing 
to go where I send you. And God says, look, I want to do things through you, but you're going to have to think of things in terms as bigger than yourself because it's not about what you put in and what you get out, but rather what you put in and then what I share with and then what I'm able to bless others through as a result. See, that's the thing about having a legacy. It means that we're going to have to be willing to think of things in terms as bigger than ourselves. But to be sure, Satan understands that this is a hang-up for us. He understands that it's easy for us to think of life in terms of just us. And in Luke 12, we really get an idea about this. If you read the Gospels, each Gospel has its own kind of um, special flavor that it just makes it um, uh, exceptional from the others. I mean, John, I like to read John because John uh, really gives you a sense of the personal feel of, of the nature of Jesus and then also tells us about how we become uh, believers. There's a lot of wonderful material there. Mark, you know, me having, being an off-the-charts ADD, Mark is the Gospel for people with ADD because it's quick, it's short, and it just bam, 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 bam. One thing happens right after another, and for people with a two-minute attention span like mine, it keeps me occupied the whole time through, right? But Luke is special for this reason. Luke is a physician. He's a deep thinker. He remembers things, and he writes down in the gospel of Luke some things that we don't really get in other places, and, and, and even when the stories that he tells, that Jesus tells, are, are mirrored in multiple co- copies. We still have this beautiful color. Luke really tells it with this, with this wonderful color, and I want you to read this story because this is what I get out of this. In Luke 12, the Bible says that Jesus called, uh, then a person called to Jesus from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So you've got somebody who's saying, I need Jesus to settle a family feud. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. And this next message is one we all need to hear. Life is not measured by how much you own. So then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And in this culture, agricultural culture, if, you know, either crops or livestock was what made you rich. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. So then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you've worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And here's what I want you to take away from this story. Look at this rich guy and how he, he talks in terms only of himself. In verse 17, he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, and when you start talking to yourself like this, you got problems. <laughs> you have enough stored away for years to come. Maybe you know somebody like this in your life. I don't know if you know anybody that just cannot talk about life in terms of anyone other than themselves. I mean, you want to talk to them about uh, something you're going through or something a friend's going through or a current event, some sort of political thing you want to talk about, whatever. You try to bring something up, and they immediately redirect the conversation to something that has only to do with them, right? So you tell them about something that happened to you, and they go, oh, that happened to me 23 years ago. Let me tell you the details, right? And you go, is there a chair that I can talk to, please? Because it's just all about them. And this guy is that. I mean, he's, he's all about himself. And the Bible says what the end result of that was. That Jesus, Jesus said, God called him on it and said, who will these things be? All this stuff that you've got. Now that your life is over, who's going to get all this stuff? That's the cost of self-focus. And frankly, I think sometimes that's a picture of me because I do get self-focused and I struggle with that. Let me tell you, 
don't know if you mind. I'm going to take a little side jaunt here off, off the beaten path. I, I think I used to get this story really wrong. I think I got the, the moral of the story that Jesus was telling wrong. Because, you know, I grew up in Sunday school, and I heard um, you know, my teachers taught us the story, and I, I certainly kind of viewed it through the grid of a child and how a child might view this. And, and uh, you know how those, sometimes those things stay with you. And so as an adult, I was still sort of processing the story the same way. And I would not have, if you had talked to me, I probably would have found a more pastoral way to say this. But in the back of my mind, I always thought of this story as being that, that if you're really selfish, what you should remember is that God can kill you any time, right? <laughs> And, I mean, you can tell the seven-year-old mentality coming out of this, right? And, and that when you get to heaven, God's going to shake his finger at you and say, that was stupid, right? You should have been nicer to other people, right? And, uh, and so then I was reading this this week, and I thought, man, I have gotten this so wrong for so long because I have heard anger in Jesus' voice as he says, who will these things be? And it, I don't think the scriptures lead us to believe that it was anger. I hear sorrow in Jesus' voice as he says, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you've worked for? Judgment House starts this weekend. And when you go to Judgment House and you go through the tour, or if you're volunteering in it, um, you know that at some point in the Judgment House experience, there's a verse you're always going to hear. It's Hebrews 9.27. And that verse says this, it is appointed for people to die once, and after this, judgment. And so an important question, I think, for us to think about is that each of us, or an important thing for each of us to think about is that each of us has an appointment uh, at a time when our life is going to come to an end. And I think what Jesus is telling this rich guy is, your appointment is now. Now is the time. Now is the time your life is over. And I almost hear the sorrow in Jesus' voice as he says, all this stuff, all this stuff you've worked your life for, all these things, all of your energy, all of your talent, I gave you that talent. I gave you those resources. I gave you the energy with which to do those things. And I just want to know who is going to get all that stuff. The Bible says to be absent with the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And I cannot know the mind of Christ, but as I hear Jesus telling this story to his disciples and to the people gathered around, I wonder how many times has Jesus welcomed someone into his presence who was a believer and, and, and for whom Jesus would know that this person has a home in heaven and yet Jesus knows that there is a legacy on earth that no one will get that, that could have been handed off to the next generation. And I hear sorrow in his voice as he says, who will get these things? Whose will these things be? And this is what Abraham understood that sometimes I don't. We talked a little bit earlier about the fact that Abraham's legacy would truly be wrapped up in one child, Isaac. That God would give Isaac, and through Isaac, God would start a great nation. And this is what Abraham was mostly concerned with. And we see this before Isaac ever comes on the scene. Because the Bible says in Genesis 15 that the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said, Do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. So uh, in a different translation, we, taught, we used this earlier in the series. And we talked about the fact that, that God came to Abraham and said, I will be your shield and your great reward. Protection and provision. Now, if God comes to Jonathan Hoover and says, Jonathan, don't worry, right? which is something I need to hear pretty often. Don't worry, I'm going to be your protection, and I'm going to provide you with incredible blessing. If I hear that from God, frankly, at this stage in my life, I tend to go, thank you, God. I think I'm good then. I think that's all I need. I think I'm in good shape. But look at what Abraham does. This is so strange, and this is what's, it's been hard for me to process this as I used to read this story, because it says that Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son, since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. 
Now, I used to think this was not very good of Abraham. He's arguing with God. God comes to him and says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. And all of a sudden, Abraham says, well, that's no good because I don't have anybody to carry on uh, my family line. I think, well, that's pretty selfish of Abraham not to appreciate what God is giving him. But I honestly think that what Abraham is proving in this text is that he gets it. He gets something that God wants all of us to get. Because it wasn't just about him. It wasn't just about, okay, God, you've said you will protect me, and you've said you will provide for me, and since my life is only about me, then thank you, and I think I'm good. But Abraham basically goes back to God and says, but God, I thank you for your protection, your provision, but it's not just about me. It's about the legacy that I can leave, and at this point, I have no legacy to leave, and so God, I'm, I, I'm, I'm thankful for your blessing, but I'm not satisfied until I can find a way to pass this on to the next generation. And some of us, including some of us 32-year-olds in this room who have a lot of our life yet to live, Lord willing, some of us need to say, God, I appreciate your blessings, and I appreciate your provision, but God, I will not be satisfied until I find a way, and you show me a way to pass this on to the next generation. And I don't know whether Abraham approached God in the right attitude or the right spirit about this, but it seems like God responded very well to the fact that Abraham got it because it says that the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, Look up into the sky. Count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. It's almost like God says, Abraham, you get it. You get it. So I'm going to take you out in the darkness. I'm going to show you these stars, and I'm going to let you know that if, if legacy is what you want, I will blow up your world with legacy. If legacy is what you want, I will give it to you so much that you won't even be able to imagine it, wrap your arms around it, understand it. It's going to be huge. That's what I want. But in order for me to be able to accept that, I'm going to have to open up my world a little bit. It's going to have to be more than just about me. Can I tell you, quickly, and I don't really have time to even talk about this, but do you know why I think I struggle to open my world to, to bigger realities than just me? Is that I have learned, and this is part of, you know, living in this world, I have learned that when you open your life to other people, resources tend to go down. You tend to have to share resources. There's less to go around, right? You learned this. When you were single, for those of you in this room who are married now, when you were single, uh, you didn't have to share your resources with anybody. It was just, it, you, you had whatever resources were available and you got to use them as you saw fit. Then you got married, right, and reality began to set in. And you realized that once you're married, resources get split, right? For those of us who had that phrase in our wedding ceremony, all my worldly goods I thee endow, right? That's what we're talking about, right? And then you had a child and that's when the boom really dropped, right? As you were walking down that diaper aisle at Walmart and realizing what this financial commitment now means, right, to have a child, we realize in a finite world, uh, in a finite person, uh, resources are finite. And so the more people you have in your life, the more people you have in your world, the more sharing has to happen, the more resources get split up. My, my previous pastor, the one I worked for before I came here, always used to say a dollar only spends once. And in this world, he is right about that. But what Abraham understood that sometimes I forget and that I need to remember is that we serve an infinite God. And so when we open our world and we open our mind to other people than, than just ourselves and we say, I want to be a blessing to other people, I want to have a legacy, God can multiply, just as God multiplied for Abraham, God can multiply the resources available so that God can bless us just as much as he would have blessed us before and more. And through us, he can be a blessing to people that he could not have blessed unless we were willing to get with his program. 
So there's that moment where we say, God, here's the deal. I trust you. It is a trust thing to say, God, I trust you enough to open my life and open my reality to realities that are bigger than me, to not have to make my world about me, but to open up to something bigger than me because I know that you will take care of me even if the main focus of my life is to be a blessing to others because you want to do something through me. Our life has got to be about something bigger than ourselves. Okay, here's the second point. In order to leave a legacy, you have to be willing to surrender control of whatever God has given you. And I almost preached this point wrong, because I almost said you have to be willing to give control of whatever God gives you to him. But the truth is that while God has given us the ability to make choices, while God has given us certainly a a free will, and and he gives us a lot of opportunity to, to, to find our own direction in life, God still has the ability to intervene anytime he wants to. God still has the ability to take the reins, to take control. And so to, for us to say, I'm giving God control, assumes that he doesn't have the ability to take control if he wants to. But I assure you, he does have the ability to take control if he wants to. So the truth is that since we live in an economy where God can take control anytime he wants to, the real calling of our life is to surrender that control and to say, God, the truth is you could control it if you wanted to, and you would control it better than I will, so i got to take my hands off and let you do it. This is what we learn from Abraham in Genesis 22, which I do not have time to read. In Genesis 22, the Bible tells us the story of God coming to Abraham and saying, I want you to take your only son Isaac, who was, by the way, Abraham's legacy. In, a, in, in one person, Abraham's legacy existed in Isaac. And God said, I want you to take Isaac, I want you to take him up on a mountain, I want you to offer him to me as a burnt sacrifice, right, a burnt offering. And we don't have much frame of reference for that in our culture, but Abraham certainly would have had a frame of reference for it. He had seen children be sacrificed to gods in other worship, in worship of other gods. And so he was aware of what God was saying, and it would have gone against everything in his gut to do what God had asked. It would have meant terminating what seemed like his legacy. It would have meant, it would have meant uh, doing something that felt wrong to him, but more than anything, it would have meant giving away what he thought God had given to him. And the, if you, you know the story, Abraham went through all of the steps to do what God had called him to do, even though I know it had to go against everything that his heart was telling him. And then in the last moment, before going through the procedure of the sacrifice, the Bible tells us that the angel of God stayed Abraham's hand and said, I don't want you to sacrifice the boy. Uh, and, and, And he provided an alternate sacrifice. And then I love this. The angel of the Lord said to him, now I know that you truly fear God. How can we show God that we truly fear him? How can we show God that we respect him, that we are allowing him to lead our lives? How can we do that? And he says, now that I know you truly fear God, because of what you have not withheld, because of what you have not controlled, because you haven't tried to pull against me, Abraham, because when I said I need to take the wheel and I'm taking your life in this direction, you didn't pump the brakes. You didn't try to turn away, but what you did was you said, okay, God, I surrender control and you can do this. Now, this has been a hard lesson for me to learn, uh, especially in the past month. A few weeks ago, I learned that I'm a control freak, and um, it's a new revelation to me, and I'm just coming to terms with it. Um, I didn't think I was before. As a matter of fact, if you'd asked me before, Jonathan, are you a controlling person? I would have said, no, I'm the most laid-back person you've ever met. I just roll with the punches. I go with whatever. It's no big deal. I'm just very, I'm very mellow, right? I'm not a controlling person. But God decided to show me I was wrong. And you know how it is sometimes when God really kind of hits you with a reality check. But the way that happened was my wife and I had gone to a, um, a, a pastor's conference in Colorado. 
And um, the idea of this conference was to get us pastors off the grid, away from our cell phones, away from the internet. I don't know if you realize this, but in a pastor's world, probably as in many of your business worlds, but in a pastor's world, we don't unplug from our job hardly at all. I mean, we're always kind of, you know, connected to what we're doing. And so they wanted to get us disconnected for a few days, um, allow some other pastors to really uh, preach to us and speak to our life and get us energized and ready to come back and, and be even more effective in our, in our role of service. And so we went there. It was a little bit higher in elevation than Estes Park in Colorado, and um, so we went there, and the, and the first thing that I noticed out of the gate was that everybody there was older than I was. All the other pastors there were older, they were way more experienced, they had all these incredible ministry stories, you know, and I was a little intimidated by that, because I certainly have a lot to talk about in the fact that I serve the greatest church in the world, but I didn't have the experience these guys had, and all these incredible stories that they had, I was a little worried about that. But I, you know, I went to the first session, and the first session, this really fantastic speaker talked about what it meant to give away what God had given to you to get to tell to, to tell God, God, you can take control of my ministry. God, you can change the vision of my ministry. You can recast it. You can reshape it. You can reorganize it. You can even take it away. And so I, I listened to that. And as I got up from my chair, I said, "Lord, thank you for the message that that I just heard. Because I'm sure for people in this room who are controlling, it will be really helpful. For people like me, you know, it was you know, it was just a good sermon idea for later. But I, I um, you know, I listened to that. I said, I don't, I don't need that because I'm not a controlling person. And, uh, but for those poor control freaks in the room, I'll pray God's blessing on them as they parse that out, right? And so I went to dinner, right, and sat around a table with a bunch of other pastors. Several, a lot of them had a lot more experience than me. And so as they were going around the, story, the, the table telling stories and stuff, I thought, man, I can, I'm not looking forward to when the conversation comes around to me because I don't know what to say, you know. So the conversation eventually did come around to me. And I talked about New Spring. And they were really excited to hear about everything that's going on at New Spring. And there was kind of a lull, and I thought, I need to say something else. Um, what, can I, what can I say that will impress these guys, right? And so I remembered, I, I, you know, I've been working on this writing project for quite a while. It's getting ready to be done. It's getting ready to be finished. There were some really cool things at the time that were happening with that. And so I thought, oh, I'll talk to them about my writing project. So I said, this is what was going on and how this happened. And uh, all of a sudden, the oldest pastor at the table interrupted me, interrupted me and stopped. And he said, Jonathan, I want to ask you a question. The church you serve, the ministry God's given you, this writing project, all these things that you're doing, how do you think, what do you think you did for God to bring that into your life. I mean, how did, you, how did you find a way to get in God's will and to have that happen? What, what was the secret to this? Because I want to know. And have you ever had a moment in your life where you needed to be more spiritual than you were? And that was a moment where I'm like, I really need a deep spiritual answer to this question. Because, because if I were to just give this guy the answer that comes to mind, it would be that there was nothing that I did that I have no idea why God has blessed me so much, and that it's really just his grace because I have absolutely no formula for anything God has ever done in my life. That would have been the correct answer, by the way. <laughs> but I didn't go there because I thought that, that's just not spiritual enough, it's not pastoral enough, I need something a little heavier duty, right, to share with this guy. So I'm kind of racking my brain, and then the light bulb comes on, and I think about the session that we just got out of, and so I kind of took the pastoral pose, you know, I got a spiritual face on, and I kind of lifted my hand for a moment, and I said, let me tell you what happened, right? I said, I was in the middle of this project, and I was so wrapped up in it, you know, I was self-absorbed, and I, was, I wasn't paying attention to, you know, I wasn't asking God, what did he want me to do with this project, and I said, and I kind of hit a wall, you know, I got to a point where I said, God, I have really not honored you in this. God, you know, you, this project is yours. You can take it and you can do whatever you want to with it. You can take it away from me. You can, re, you know, you can alter it. You can make it be whatever it needs to be. God, it's, it's just yours. You know, your pastor was fibbing incredibly, right? And I felt that because, you know, I, I had that conversation, got done with it. I got up from the table and it was as though God was tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, Jonathan, 
When did that happen exactly? It was, just like, it was almost like God was saying, you know, I've been meaning to talk to you about this whole issue of control, and since you brought it up, right, and I, I, I started to try to fool God. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with God where you thought maybe you could, you could kind of pull the wool over God's eyes a little bit, and so I said, well, God, I'm not a controlling person, so if I had thought about saying that to you, I would have said that to you, right? God, if I had thought about the fact that I, you know, but, but God, I, I didn't really have to have that conversation specifically because you already knew that it was yours, God. You already knew I was giving you control of that. You already knew that I would let you change it in a heartbeat. And it was as though God pierced my heart and said, that's not true because you're a controlling person. And I began to argue with God mentally. I started to say, God, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And I'm sure that you're wrong about this, and I'm right, because I, I'm not a controlling person. I'm, I'm actually a very gracious person. I'm very laid back, and I just go with whatever the flow is. You know, I, I'm just very easygoing. And it was as though God, I've never heard God speak to me audibly, but the closest that I've heard is when God, God really impressed on my heart with the fact that, Jonathan, you're not controlling when things are already going your way. But when a curveball gets thrown, when your world gets shooken up, shaken up, in that moment, you become a controlling person. And I said, God, you're wrong. I know that you're wrong because I, I, I can handle anything. I'm one of those people that you just toss me in the mix, and if, if, you know, no matter how it's going, it'll be fine. And I can just roll with it, God, because I have given you control of everything. Right? It was a highly spiritual moment for me. I was in denial, but it was a highly spiritual moment for me. <laughs> And in the outside as that was happening, it was drizzling. And they had continued to tell us through the time that we were there. And keep in mind, we were just real close to Estes Park. They had told us, they said, well, the rain's going to stop. The rain's going to stop. Because, because we've never seen it rain this much anyhow. And, and, and normally it doesn't rain this time of day. And so, you know, it's going to stop. And when, we, when it does, the activities will be, you know, we'll do regular activities. Next morning we woke up and it was really coming down. It had not stopped at all. And they were trying to kind of sweep the water away from the buildings and keep the entryways working. And, and they said, it's going to stop. Noon, you know, lunchtime, the rain's going to stop. And then, and then, you know, we'll start up the, uh, the regular activities of the ranch again, you know. And, uh, it, but it was still mid-morning, and, and they corralled us all into a room. And they said, we just got to let you know there's just a mudslide that just came through um, the ranch. And, and basically, we've got a river going through the main road. And uh, as we walked outside and saw the devastation... Uh, we all just started to pitch in, and we all grabbed shovels, and we began to, to build embankments so the water would, would get diverted away from the buildings. And as I was standing there with a shovel, um, you know, building up these embankments, it's as though God came and said, so how you doing, buddy? How's that laid-back thing working for you right now, right? You said I could throw you in the mix. You said I could do anything, and you would just be, God, it's all yours, right? So how are you feeling about that right now? And I said, you know, actually, God, I think I'm doing okay, right? I mean, I know you can tell from these guns, it's not like I lift a whole lot. So my arms were a little tired, I mean, lifting all that, all that dirt. But I will tell you, I was still telling God, I'm, I'm obviously hanging in there, so I, don't, I still think I'm winning this argument. And you know how it is, I was starting to lose ground. Some of you guys know this. You argue with your wife, and you know about three-fourths of the way through that you're going to lose this one anyway, but you're still hanging on, you know. That's kind of what I was doing with God in the moment. And uh, so uh, we spent the day trying to, to handle the situation as best we could. We had dinner, uh, and we, we went to uh, bed. And my wife convinced me to sleep in my clothes, right, because she was concerned something might happen. And guys, you should trust your wife's intuition, because in this particular case, it sort of paid off. But at, at 10 o'clock, we heard all the screaming and yelling outside our cabin. And what we found out as we, as we got out was that another mudslide was coming through, and it was so close. You could hear it was like a freight train, and you could hear pop, 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 and it was the trees snapping underneath the, the mud. Incredible, incredible devastation that happened, a 10-foot mud wall coming through. 
And uh, we, we didn't know where it was coming from. It was pitch dark, so we didn't know where the mud was coming from. We didn't know where to run to. And as I was standing in mud about this high uh, on, my, on my legs, it was as though God was saying, how's the laid back thing? Are we still doing okay? Scale of one to ten, Jonathan, how you doing, right? <laughs> I'm like, this is not good, but I'm still hanging on there, right? The evening was one long lesson in God teaching Jonathan that I was not where I thought I was yet. Because I remember at the end of that evening, we had been evacuated and, put, and, and brought back. We had been split up. My wife and I were no longer in the same area because we were sleeping in a dormitory-style uh, shelter area where it was all the guys in one spot and all the gals in one spot. I didn't have my wife to lean on. Uh, I, I was by myself in an unfamiliar place in a very dangerous situation. And it was like, okay, God, you're, you're winning this argument. You have won. I don't handle it well when things are not going the way that I want them to go. And it was like at that moment... The thing that I told the guy at that table I had already done started to happen in my heart when I said, God, you know what the truth is? The only person who has control of the big things in my life is going to have to be you because if I don't let you have control, I'm going to fool myself and I'm going to take myself off course and I will never have the kind of impact in ministry you need me to have. And each of us has that moment where we have to reach that moment of crisis where we say, God, I can no longer pull against you. I don't need to be grabbing the steering wheel and try to pull against you the direction you want me to go. I don't need to be pumping the brakes and trying to tell you to slow down, God. I, don't, I certainly don't need to be trying to move ahead of where it is that you need me to be, God. If I want to have an impact on the next generation, if I want to be able to pay it forward, if I want to be able to leave an indelible imprint on this world, the way that I can do that is to give you control. And I want to tell you, I'm still in the middle of a journey because I, while I learned that, I learned as soon as I got home that it was so easy to fall back into the same routines. But I will tell you, I have learned that the first step in leaving a legacy is to give God control of that. Now, by the way, I just want you to know I'm not taking, I'm not, I'm not taking credit for the thousand-year flood in Colorado. I don't want to wake up in the morning and see the Wichita Eagle says, local pastor has Jonah complex, takes credit for Estes Park flooding, right? <laughs> but I will tell you, God definitely taught me something. I just feel led to to go a different direction with the end of this message than I have gone in the previous four services. Because I want to tell you about a way in which you can leave a bigger legacy. I mean, leaving a financial legacy is wonderful. I mean, that's great. If you can do that, do it. You know, leaving a, a, a legacy of, of, of kindness and, 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 and tradition for your family that's a wonderful thing if you can do it, and you should do that. Leaving a legacy for the people that will take your occupation over when you decide to, to, to go to something different or to retire, that's a wonderful thing, and you should do it. But the biggest way that you could ever leave a legacy in this world is to share what God has given you in terms of his son, Jesus Christ, with someone else. See, sometimes that's the thing that we're most hesitant to do, and I, I don't understand why I struggle with that. I don't understand why I struggle with the fact that it's easier for me to want to pay forward the legacy that God has put in my life of, of being able to be there for people or, or to coach people or to want to, to make an impact on someone's life in a way that's comfortable for me. But sometimes I don't understand why it's so hard for me to want to pay forward the biggest gift that God has ever given me, which is His Son, Jesus Christ. But in your world, if you really want to leave a big imprint, if you really want to just rock Wichita and change the face of the culture that you are in, the biggest thing you can do 
is to tell the people that you love, the people that you meet, the people that you interact with about a, a God who loved them enough to come to this earth and to provide his son as a sacrifice on the cross so that their wrongdoing could be paid for, could be forgiven, so that they could have a home in heaven when their life comes to an end. I'm getting ready to do Judgment House. That's the, that, this, is, this is the heartbeat of New Spring Church. This is the heart, heartbeat of Judgment House, is to, to help people understand that this is the biggest impact they can not only have in their life, but that they can make in their world. So what are we going to do with this, New Spring? How are you going to impact your world? Tomorrow, Monday morning, when you wake up, what are you going to do to leave a legacy? Whose will these things be when you leave them to someone else? Father, thank you so much for the fact that you love us and that you have given us great gifts. I pray now that we would never just hold on to those gifts for the sake of keeping them, but Father, that we would employ those gifts for the sake of reaching others so that they would experience your peace, your grace, your gifting, and Father, more than that, the gift of your Son. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. I said a moment ago that the greatest thing you can give someone else is the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, my greatest legacy in this world will not be that I was one of the pastors of New Spring Church. It won't be that I was the son of Mark Hoover. It won't be any of the other things that may eventually become distinctive of my life. The biggest thing that will have ever been able to be said about Jonathan Hoover is that he shared Jesus Christ with someone else. And right now, that's my opportunity to do that with you. If you are in this room and you do not have a connection with Jesus Christ, now is the time. Now is the time to make that connection. And I'm going to say the words to a very simple prayer. And my words aren't important, but I want you to listen to these words, and I want you to see, do they reflect what's in your heart? And if they do, you can say this silently to God, and if you do, it will be settled once and for all. Ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know I do wrong things, and I know I can't get to heaven on my own. Today, I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I'm making a choice to believe in you, Jesus, and to trust you with my life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody look this way. I know everybody's going to be in a hurry in just a moment to get out, but I just want to let you know that if you just prayed that prayer, we're so excited for you, and we want to get you a packet of materials that we put together um, that has a booklet and a voucher for a Bible and some other things. We just want to give it to you. So you can take that Talk to Us card, check the box that says, I pray to receive Christ, and take it to guest services. They will give that to you, no questions asked. Next week, we start the thing, the greatest series ever. Can't wait to see you then. Take care.